Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Sunday, January the 7th. And uh, let's say hello to our good friend, George Rodriguez from South Texas. How are you, George? Real, go- real good. It's kind of cold down here today. But it's yeah, good. it's, it's. Uh, let's see. I'm looking at it right here. I thought I was. I can't find it right now. But it was it was cold in the morning, like it in the 30, 40s. It was actually in the high, high 30s here in the morning, I think, yeah. when I went out for a walk. It, it did get, it was much nicer in the afternoon, but it's supposed to be the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're supposed to be, you know, a little bit over freezing around here. So it'll be interesting in the mornings. Well, let me begin by congratulating the Dallas Cowboys who won their yeah. division. You know, it, it's just amazing how things go. A week ago, they were almost dead when they lost that game to, uh, uh, they were about ready to lose the game against Detroit. And then came the referee changing the play and, and you know the rest of the story, but they're going to be playing Green Bay. That's uh, that appears to be their first game next week, and it'll be here in Arlington. So it's exciting to have uh, a playoff game back in Dallas. Uh, yeah, especially George. with Green Bay, that should be fun. It should be. I mean, they've had some interesting games with Green Bay great, before. When Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, I was always afraid to play Green Bay because he would always figure it out how to win the game. I'm not sure about. Now, uh, I'm not that familiar with the Packer team. They've They're just kind of they've got a rookie quarterback, so it's gonna yeah, and they just got in. Well, it's one of those playoff teams that just made it in, uh, I guess, at the end. But those are exactly the kinds of teams who come in hot, right? And they can really make your life difficult. So congratulations to the to the Cowboys. And if you understand what happened to the Eagles, let me know. Because they just <laughs> collapsed. Amazing. Uh, I mean, they just collapsed all together. All right, well, let's get into some interesting stories uh, this week. This is crazy, this story. I've never seen anything like it. The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, apparently had some kind of an operation. It was elective surgery and apparently was in intensive care for a couple of days. And nobody told anybody. Nobody knew anything. We were being told that he was working from home. And it turns out that he was in intensive care. And now the secretaries come out and say, well, I'm responsible. You know, I'm I'm, I'm responsible. You know, the buck stops with me, which I appreciate that he's doing that. At least he's not blaming it on Trump. But uh, <laughs> or quite this is crazy. Else. I mean, this is crazy, George. Yeah, the, the fact is this, uh, Silvio, is that when somebody is uh, in is in a very very high, is in a high ranking position, uh, like a secretary, uh, the number one thing that they're supposed to do immediately is to uh, obviously advise the president uh, and his staff, and uh, secondly, designate a person who is going to take over. Should anything, anything go out? Now, this goes for anything. In fact, you, if you look carefully at the um, at the manual, or at least the manual that we used to have, that that goes for anything that go, that uh, talks about anesthesia being administered, including root canals. They even talk about dentistry. And they're very specific on that. And here you've got somebody that was in intensive care and nobody knew about it. That is, that, that's, that's it, it, it absolutely, uh, you know, outside the boundaries of what uh, you're supposed to do. But again, what this tells me is that this administration uh, 
doesn't care to follow rules and and is very lax with anything that they want to do when it's convenient to them. Right. Well, what it also tells me is that there's a little disorganization. Uh, there are maybe too many chiefs or too many. What's the expression? Too many chiefs. Too many chiefs, not enough Indians. Yeah, I don't that, know if you can you say know, that anymore. I don't yeah, know. That's right. Say. That's politically incorrect. Now you have to say incorrect. too many, too many, whatever. Yeah. But but this is really scary because the Secretary of Defense, in the event of an emergency, he is in the inner circle. He is. I mean, this is not a Secretary of Transportation. You know, I'm not downplaying that position, but I'm just saying. Well, no, this this is an important position. I mean, this is this has to do with the defense of the country, literally. Right. You know, and if he is out of pocket, and uh, the Houthis decide to attack uh, uh, a, a military base, or worse, uh, the, the Russians or the Chinese decide to provoke uh, some uh, situation uh, in 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 either in the Middle East or in uh, Lithuania or wherever, and he's under anesthesia. Mm. Well, um, the deputy director, the deputy secretary, was apparently on vacation, well, which is okay. You know, again, I, I don't know. Yeah. Again, that is, I mean, they should schedule things. They should schedule things accordingly. And I'm, I'm sorry to be this rough, but no. having worked directly for the secretary of HUD, which is not one of those high-ranking right. uh we were under complete and absolute scrutiny constantly as to we as to whether we were following that protocol. Right. And uh, you know, the 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 Washington Post would be watching us like hawks. Well, here we've got this guy, you know, and I'm sorry if I if I'm being if I'm not being uh, if I'm being disrespectful, but here we've got this person who is who is the Secretary of Defense. Defense. That word is very important. And, uh, you know, his second in command is on, on vacation and he's under he, he's uh, in, in uh, intensive right. care. And apparently, from what I've read, and again, a lot of the facts are, are somewhat sketchy. But what I understand is that the deputy director didn't even know about the operation. So the deputy director, it's a lady, by the way, I don't know the lady's name, but she's in in Puerto Rico on a vacation, which is fine. I mean, we, we don't object no, to that. No, it's not fine. Don't excuse it. Don't yeah. excuse it. It's not fine. This is, uh, this was a perilous situation for us. No, I, well, let me explain. You're right. You're right. Let me, let me explain it again. What I'm saying is if, if uh, the Secretary of Defense goes into IO uh, intensive care, then the deputy has to come back or at least be on the, on, on the, on the job, but she wasn't. I mean, she had no idea. I mean, so a bunch of people didn't know. Apparently, nobody told the president. And here's what scares me: when it's all said and done, I think somebody should be fired for this. I really oh, do. Definitely. I, definitely. I think the president should fire the Secretary of Defense and say you can't do that. And that, so that would be step number one. But, but they won't do that because of diversity. I'm sure. Well, that's it. That that's it. That's a good point. But here's the other thing too that I feel. That is very, very uh, important here. And that is that in the event that there had been an emergency, the Secretary of Defense is one of the people in the in the inner circle in any kind of a military response. You know, uh, I'm sure you remember during the 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 Gulf War or the Iraq War that it was always the Secretary of Defense 
who was speaking to the press, explaining what we were doing. You know, very often the president would come out and then pass the ball to the Secretary of Defense for more details. We didn't have that here. And George, here's what worries me too. And I was talking about this with some friends at lunch today. I am literally, I am as concerned as I've ever been about the world right now, about the situation in the world. We have got some real hot spots and we've got some potential things that could explode at any moment, whether it's China, whether it's Russia again, whether it's Iran, whatever. And you, everybody's got to be on the job here. And our enemies look at stuff like this and they go, you got to be kidding me. The president didn't know that the secretary of defense was in intensive care. I mean, our enemies are going to look at that and say, these people are a joke. Yeah, well, I think they're already saying that, but, you know, <laughs> just my assessment. No, no, you're right. I mean, the Secretary of Defense here should Started at least with our resign. Friends in Mexico. Yeah, starting yeah. with our Mexican friends. Yes. If, uh, you know, if he doesn't want to resign or if, he, if you don't want to fire him because you don't want to fire a diversity candidate, then maybe he should resign on his own and say, look, uh, I'm sorry, here's my resignation. And But this was an, a, a, an outrageous case. All right, let's talk about something else that happened here in the last couple of days, and that's the Biden speech. <laughs> President Biden apparently decided to open the campaign and gave uh, a speech that Trump, I, I mean, that basically the speech is, I'm not going to tell you anything good I've done. I'm just going to tell you how bad the other guy is. Exactly. <laughs> and it was a horrible speech. Uh, it, it was really as, as unpresidential as I've seen a speech here recently, uh, George. Well, I mean, it, uh, it it hit the points that the Democrats, the radical Democrats, want to in, emphasize in this election, that Trump is bad, that Trump did bad things, that Trump is responsible for bad things. Uh, that's, that's, that's their entire uh, campaign. And uh, all he did, all he did was emphasize that. Uh, he was negative, negative, negative. Uh, he has tried to be positive about his administration and then keeps flying back in his face. So I think that uh, that uh, it's one of those things where if you can burn your opponent as much as you can, they won't notice that you're on fire. Right. Now, I just hope that Trump doesn't take the bait. You understand I, what I mean? Yeah. I hope that Trump basically just lets this fly because I don't think that many people watch the speech, actually. Nor cared. Nor cared. Nor cared, yeah. But... Trump could actually give the, by, by reacting in a crazy way, Trump could actually. He could have, fan the fire. Yeah, exactly. So the best thing to do is just let this thing die. Let's just uh -huh. let the speech die. Even, and, even mainstream media, even the mainstream media played it down. I mean, they didn't, I yeah. mean, well, they didn't have anything to, to uh, hang to. So uh, they even played it down. And uh, I think that that shows how bad the speech was. And at the same time, it shows how bad their campaign, their whole campaign is. Right. And, and it was, it was just a, uh, now on the other hand, that's all he has. Well, I mean, uh, basically blaming, uh, scaring blaming people about Trump is all he has, uh, George. Wow. That's, I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, he's got really, really nothing. I mean, what's he going to say about the economy? Uh, he, he is trying, he's trying to say that he's creating more jobs, that he has created more jobs, but those jobs that have been created all been in the private in the public sector they've all had to do with something of, a, of an agency growing the government growing uh nonprofits growing uh they don't have anything to do with uh, with production production is completely down all the way across the board and everything uh 
Right. And uh, what else is he going to talk about? The crime? Uh, you know, I mean, the border. You can always talk about border, the border. It's open. Yeah, right. That's you know, yeah, the border is not open. The border, the border is about as open as as Walmart. So I mean, you know, it's uh, it it, it he's got nothing. Do we have respect from the uh, from the foreign countries? I mean, has he pro has he produced any kind of uh, of peace treaty? Any kind of uh, agreement uh, like uh, the Abraham Agreement that that Trump put together? What has he done? Right. On the contrary, we've got conflicts all over the place. And, and that's really scary because when you have that many potential, I mean, you got that many uh, fires going on, <laughs> fires going. I mean, something's going to happen. I, 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 I hope not. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm totally wrong. But it's just too many, too, too many things going on. And, and the well, kind of weakness that we're projecting. Well, hopefully, if nothing happens, it won't be while our defense uh, uh, secretary is uh, under anesthesia. Right. I laugh because it's it's. But it's really not funny. What the Secretary of Defense did was was he should resign. And to, to keep good standing, he should resign and say, look, guys, I'm, I, I dropped the ball here. Let me move on. Big but I thought the, the, the president's uh, speech was about as bad as it oh, gets. As bad as it can get. As bad as it can yeah. get. And But I don't think it's turning on anybody. No. Well, it's not turning. The thing that's surprising to me is that it's not turning off his own people. I mean, uh, it would seem. You mean that, turning on? You mean turning on his own people? Well, you said turned turn, off. Turning them off? Yes. No. Oh, turn, okay. Getting them to to re recognize that it's bad. That they need something, a new direction. They don't seem to. They don't seem to recognize that his immediate circle, whoever's giving him the campaign information or or campaign strategy, just doesn't seem to get it. Right. And he's you know again according to some of the polling data, he's losing support. With uh, with blacks and Hispanics, yes, and uh, which is really hard to do for a Democrat, but yes. <laughs> but what's interesting though is that in in one of the one of the articles that came out, the the writer was saying that, or the author was saying that, what we're beginning to see here is that Hispanics are not all about immigration. Correct. That, you know, for for a long time, the conventional wisdom was that. Hispanics only talked about immigration. It's like exactly. they spent the entire day talking about immigration or DACA. 24-7, they were talking. It's like you get together with a Hispanic friend, and the first thing out of his mouth is, what do you think about DACA? I mean, or immigration. And what this author was saying is that that's not the case at all, that Hispanics are just as interested in the economy. Because we've become I, Americans, because we've come, become Americans. Yes, I, and, and the border is of concern to Hispanics. There was also an article that came out calling on the Black uh, Congressional Caucus to stand up to the illegal immigration, pointing out how illegal immigration is actually hurting uh, the Black communities because it's, you know, in many cases taking jobs. Exactly. Uh, and stuff like that. So it's replacing them. Yes. And, you know, uh, it's not only replacing them economically, it's going to replace them politically if they're not careful because, the you know, they have been so loyal to the Democrats to the Democratic Party for so long that uh, if they're not careful, they won't be needed for, for a, a voting block anymore because they'll have uh, all of these new uh, illegal aliens that they can depend on. Right. And, uh, you know, they really need to see the big picture in this whole situation. Unfortunately, again, a lot of them uh, are, are very tied to this uh, leftist philosophy that, um, 
that uh, is so prevalent within the inner circles of the Biden administration that they don't get it. Well, also, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder in some of these uh, inner city communities, how many of the jobs that these people have are related to the government? Because um, it, 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 they need, you know, they need the Democrats to keep these agencies Correct. going so that they have more jobs. I, 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 I cannot I prove it, but I, I have that sense. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, where, where, whereas political bosses used to con used to control regions, districts, whatever political bosses did, now it's uh, it, it's government grants that control these folks, right. and government grants are the ones that create, you know, these jobs uh, through nonprofit organizations, through make uh, work programs, through. Uh, agencies and all, all sorts, and they are the ones that control, you know, right. the, the the voting patterns of these folks now. Yes, no, I, I think that's a very good point. Well, another thing that I want to bring up this week: a couple of lawsuits this week. One, yeah. uh, the Department of Justice versus Texas, and this has to do with SB four, yeah, uh, the law that the governor signed. Now, I saw Governor Abbott today on Fox News Sunday and we get it here at eight o'clock in the morning. I think they get it at different parts of the country at different times. But I usually watch it at uh, eight o'clock on Sunday mornings, right before I go out for a walk. I watch the Fox News Sunday. It's a great show, actually. And the governor was on there explaining because he was being asked about this lawsuit. And the question was, isn't the government right? Aren't you stepping on their on their toes when it comes to immigration law or enforcing the border. And I thought the governor made a very good argument. He, I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he basically said, all we're doing here is enforcing the laws that the Congress passed. Correct. No, we're, we're not inventing new laws. Yeah. It's not like we're saying, hey, this is our this, border. This is we're we in, yeah, they're not saying we're in the, you know, Texas it is an independent country and therefore we're going to have our own immigration laws. No, all the governor is doing with that law is saying we're going to enforce the laws of the country. Correct. That's a very strong argument, George. I think it is. You know, what um, the Arizona law, because they always compare it to the Arizona law, that um, the Arizona law that was that was uh, overruled uh, three years ago, what the uh, Arizona law said was that uh, they were going to establish uh, immigration laws and that they were going to enforce uh, the state immigration laws. Well, of course, they couldn't do that because that's, you know, that's usurping the authority of the uh, of the federal government. In this case, that is not being said. In this case, all they're saying is, look, they cross illegally. Uh, the folks that are supposed to stop them are shorthanded. We're going to stop them when they when they commit a crime, when they commit a crime, just because uh, they come across to declare uh, uh, to declare uh, for asylum. They're not going to be stopped. On the other hand, if they're crossing uh, through the bushes, if they're crossing illegally and uh, hiding, and they are caught, that's when they are going to be uh, uh, right. arrested because clearly they are trying to sneak into the country. So big difference, big difference in that. And and those people that are crossing and presenting themselves and saying, "I want asylum." Uh, what we would like to see is more people do that so that we can control it and ship these people out quickly. The people Through that the are the port of entry. That's what the exactly. governor is saying, it's that he wants people of entry. 
He said, we, we want people to go to the port, port of entry. And he mentioned that we have something like 26 or 29 of these ports. I don't remember what number he said, 26 or 29 ports of entry in just Texas alone. And, so and they should use them unless, unless they are trying to sneak in. And this is the headache. Now, yesterday I was with uh, with several sheriffs uh, in, in Fort Stockton, of all places. Uh, you know, great place, great place. I love that area. Uh, but I was in Fort Stockton. I was there with, uh, with uh, a couple of sheriffs. And um, again, I've been talking to them about how are they going to enforce that? Well, clearly they're going to, their hands, I mean, they are shorthanded like you can't believe. Uh, they have, uh, you know, for example, Terrell County, uh, Texas, ha uh, covers a, an area twice the size of Harris County. And it has something like uh, 1,200 people in it, okay? 1,200 legal residents in it. So you can imagine how big it is. It includes Big Ben, the Big Ben National uh, for, uh, Park. However, the place has all sorts of trails where people are coming in, and they catch people uh, as best they can. Now, the reason uh, that they're coming in sneaking is because they've got something to hide. They're not coming in to present themselves for uh, as uh, as asylum seekers. They're 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 sneaking in because they got something to hide. And uh, many many in, in many cases that they've caught uh, criminals, they've caught repeat offenders that have been arrested and and uh, uh, convicted in other uh, states, but snuck back to Mexico, and now they're trying to sneak back in. Right. Uh, or they ca they've caught, I mean, 181 people on the terrorist list have been caught right. this way. So it's, uh, you know. Now, if George, if, if for, for many people, like, I, I don't quite understand the process, but I know you do, so I'll ask you to explain it. Let's say I'm trying to get into the United States and seek asylum. If I go to a port of entry, um, I can say I'm seeking asylum and I am going to be processed correctly there. And I will be what? The case will be adjudicated right there? Give, no, no, no. The case will not be adjudicated. They, they will give you a case number. Okay. They will give you a case number. That case number will then re be referred uh, to headquarters or wherever. And uh, then a date will be given a okay. date and a site where you will report in some okay. cases. And so what happens in between, in between that? You are released. You are released, okay. you are released into the country. Uh, in most cases, you are released to uh, wherever you're going to go uh, or have family or sponsors. Uh, but in other cases, you're just released and, you know, for your own. So who, who keeps track of this person? Well, that's the question. The question, yeah. the only the only tracking device that you've got at this point is uh, that they confirm that they're going to that they are uh, going to uh, re respond. They are going to respect. They are going to show up uh, on the date that has been spe specified for a uh, uh, not a hearing. Now, this will be an initial hearing. This is not going to be a hearing for the uh, the asylum. This is an initial hearing to, you know, determine. Uh, basics. And uh, in most cases, these these hearings that have been set have been set well over three, four, five, right. six years right. uh, in the future. And uh, we know that from from past experiences, when this type of a of a of a process is done, that 
90% of the people don't show up. Well, I mean, the reality is these people have to do something while they're waiting for the yeah. judge. And what very often will happen is that they'll just go into the society and work underground or work, underground. work without papers. And they might live with relatives. One of the answers to that is that uh, they want to do they want to give all, everybody a work permit as they're right. coming in and registering. However, again, the work permits work uh, if uh, the uh, individual has uh, some skills and is willing and knows what to work at and has, you know, and many of these people are not, our people are not going to be able to do that. Right. And they're going to work underground. They're going to work in the underground economy anyway. Well, and, and that's exactly right because they have to live, they have to yeah. pay rent, they have to do whatever. Now, um, the I thought the governor made a very persuasive case. Obviously we have not heard the government case, but basically the cases are, this is our job. That's what the department of justice is saying. And Texas is saying, we understand that's your job, but you're not doing it. Exactly. I, I guess that's the, that's the basics of it. Uh, the, you know, and this is this is the thing that uh, I think is going to win it. Ultimately, this is going to cause a constitutional uh, a crisis uh, for the Biden administration and for all globalists. That's the word that I'm going to use. People that believe that uh, that national that that the federal government is supreme and that the federal government is supreme because it's got to cooperate with the rest of the world. Uh, the, the, the Constitution is about local government. The Constitution is about states. And um, the argument that the federal government is not doing this job, its job is so obvious. Right. No, it that's is true. so obvious. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if I was them... I'd back off and I'd try to do something else or at least give the appearance that they're doing something. Right. Well, I wrote an article this week at the American Thinker and I made two points that I, I felt that this could be a double loss for the Biden administration. Oh, I think so. Yes. The first loss is that they may lose the case on the merits. I mean, yeah, the justice no is they may very well say Texas is right. You're not doing your job. So Texas has right. to defend itself. The other way they lose is by having to defend what they're not doing. Exactly. And so you could have a situation where, you know, you you have whoever is uh, making the case for the Biden administration basically saying, yeah, we're not doing this. Or we're not. And so in a sense, I think that's a double loss, even if Texas well, and, loses. And what's going to be even worse, Silvio, is if after the court rules, they still don't do it. Right. Well, yeah, that's, that's uh, right. That that that's really going to create a problem. And that's going to create a problem because I, you know, there's. There, there are some people here cheering for Texas, but they they cannot say it so publicly. Right. One is the governor of Arizona. The other one is the mayor of Chicago and the mayor of Denver, who was on TV today, by the way, also, and uh, the mayor of New York City. These people are privately cheering for Texas. They cannot say it for political reasons. They're <laughs> not going to come out and say, you know, I hope Texas wins. But they are really hoping for that because if Texas wins, that's going to solve their problem. I mean, if you're the mayor of New York City, I don't know how they're going to pull this off in New York City. They don't have any money. They don't have any space. And you now have winter. Imagine what winter I mean, in I Chicago. Had, I read about uh, I read a, a, a news report a little while ago uh, of uh, some folks that were arriving in Chicago uh, on one of these buses that apparently they're going to ban uh, in Chicago as well. But they arrived right. on, on buses with uh, barely any kind of, uh, of uh, uh, 
uh, warm winter clothing, clothing, winter yeah. clothing, and in sandals, and in sandals. <laughs> well, they get on the bus in you know in El Paso or South Texas somewhere where it's not it's not well, summer that's where they summer. Got the sandals, yeah, they got yeah. The, they get the sandals there because most of them have have, uh, have worn out their shoes, so they automatically. I mean, here in here at the migrant center, they get sandals, right? And so that's what apparently a lot of them are arriving with. But think of the humanitarian crisis in Chicago and New York when these people are literally on the streets in the kind of weather that they have in those places. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Now, and, the, and think of the humanitarian the humanitarian crisis for the residents, for the citizens that are well, being displaced. That's in it, fact they it, were in, they were interviewing a, a businessman, one of these uh, small businesses there in New York city. And that's what he's saying that, you know, they cannot handle people are coming in. They don't have money to buy things. Uh, they're coming in, asking for food, asking for money. I mean, these people are being used in such a sinister way. These migrants, I mean, it's, it, they're being used all the way from the There's people humanitarian about what, uh, ab absolutely. They, they're being used by the people who they pay to bring them to the border. And then they're being used once they come in here because they're being given a piece of paper that says, like you indicated, uh, you know, we'll see you in six years. Yep. What are you going to do for six years? I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. Now, the other lawsuit, very briefly, uh, because I think this is totally ridiculous, and this was about the buses. The mayor of New York City is going to sue the bus lines. <laughs> but the problem, uh, the problem, George, is that, like the mayor, I mean, Governor Abbott was saying today on, on that interview, these people sign a form of consent. Yes, Yes. It's not like they're being forced to go anywhere. Exactly. That's right. And they're simply, you know, they, this bus goes to New York. Who wants to go to New York? Sign here. You get on the bus. That's so exactly. nobody's being forced to do anything. And in a bus company, they can take people. I mean, it's sort of like a charter bus. It's not obviously a Greyhound yeah. or something like that. It's a charter bus. But they're operating completely legally, George. Yeah. You know, like um, I, uh, we have been interviewing folks at the migrant center for uh, 18 months now and since the day of the opening of that migrant center 18 months ago people were voluntarily telling us that that's where they wanted to go that they wanted to go to new york that they wanted to go to chicago which we found you know i mean being used to to mexican immigrants to mexican uh illegal aliens we used to hear or we're used to hearing well i i want to go laredo or want to go here to san antonio i want to go to houston i want to Right. Los know, Angeles, far away, Los, far away, Dallas, you right, know, right. Los Angeles. Uh, well, that's, that's where they they knew people there. Yeah, or they exactly. had maybe family. The Mexican community was. Yeah, These but here you get somebody from Ethiopia. I mean, you get somebody from Ethiopia. You get somebody from Nigeria. You get somebody from Venezuela. And the only thing they've ever heard about is New York and New Chicago. York. And so that's where they want to go. That's where they want to go. No, I I understand. I understand. And of course. To, to make it even more interesting, George, these cities were saying, hey, we're sanctuary right. cities. Exactly. Welcome. Exactly. They felt so, safe. They knew they that felt, they were going to a sanctuary community. That's right. And yeah. now they're, everybody's finding out that this is not a good deal. Well, One last point I wanted to make. We don't have a lot of time, but I just want to bring this up. And we'll talk about it more uh, maybe in a future show. But I was talking to Barry Castleman, the, the Prairie editor, the other day. Uh, and Barry has been a real student of Senate elections over the years. And we were talking about the different uh, elections and we talked about Texas. And I made the point, and he agrees with me, that 
2024, the Democrats are going to have to defend West Virginia. Well, West Virginia have already lost for all practical purposes because they're going to lose that one. Montana is going to be tough to keep. Ohio is going to be tough to keep. So that's three right there that are going to be very tough to keep. Arizona could be very tough to keep, particularly if there's a three-way race. Uh, Nevada is going to be tough to keep. So you have five, potentially five seats from three to five seats that could flip to the Republicans, giving the Republicans like 53 or 54 votes majority. Now, in that context, why would the Democrats spend money defending or going after or trying to defeat Ted Cruz when they have so many other seats to defend where the money could actually be more valuable? And I I think that's a valid point. That's why I don't think that the Democrats are going to are going to try to defeat Ted Cruz as much as they did in 2018 when they thought they had a chance, uh, George. No, I don't think that they're going to try to defeat him to win. I don't think that they're going to put in uh, ground troops to go door to door. I don't think they're going to do all of that. What I do think is that they are going to go all out to smear him. That is the smear campaign. Right. Well, that's true. Be the only thing that the Democrats have going in this election, right. whether it's at the presidential level, as we have seen our illustrious president do a smear speech, uh, or it's any other any other uh, uh, office that they are that they are uh, challenging or trying to keep, they are going to smear. Right. And um, I am seeing it already. There are lots of small publications that have been funded by the DNC um, or George Soros, for all we know. But there's lots of small publications. Right. There's a there's a, a, a little rag here in San Antonio called The Current. There's another one uh, uh, called uh, The Reporter Along the Border. And all they do, all they do is run negative, negative uh, commentaries about the uh, about Ted Cruz, right. about Cornyn, uh, about Republicans, about Abbott. I mean, that's right. all they do. They never say anything positive about what they are doing. They never say anything positive about uh, you know. Um, there was a, a uh, an article in the Current about how awful it is that we don't ban uh, that we don't ban uh, refrigerators right. and air conditioners and gas stoves, you know. No, I do agree with you that a subsidiary of Trump derangement syndrome is Ted Cruz derangement syndrome. Correct. I, I think that Ted Cruz is, you know, after you Trump. You down to, to even further than that, you know, the various right. other people. <laughs> That's right. So they, they, they detest Ted Cruz. I mean, this is oh, yeah. uh, remarkable. They just detest him. And... Uh, but I, as I said, I told Barry that I think Ted Cruz is going to win by between five to seven points. Well, for the simple, I, re- I, I, for the simple reason that, that I just don't see Democrats. Remember, back in 2018, they spent, my goodness, a, you know, there's a lot of money. They had, I mean, my good, there was a Beto O'Rourke, uh, uh, you know, candidate office. And there, there were more Beto O'Rourke candidate offices in Texas and gas stations. I mean, he had all this money that he used to get the kids out to vote, to get everybody out to vote. And then on top of that, they had the straight ticket, right? which helped him a lot. That got him, actually, that helped a lot of Democrats down ballot win because they were voting for Ted Cruz, I mean, voting for Beto O'Rourke, but going straight, straight ticket. But they're not going to have that in 2024. I just don't see the DNC. Neg- negative, negative campaigning 
is is the only thing that they've got. Right. Scaring people is the only right. thing that they've got. And that's yes. what they're going to do. They're gonna and, and you're right about that. That is going to be, it's going to be Ted Cruz derangement syndrome uh, in 2024. And they're just going to tell us how rotten he is and how terrible he is. And if Ted Cruz plays it right, he could just turn it around and actually work in his favor. He's also going to have a presidential election that he didn't have in 2018. Yeah. And that should help him a little bit. All right, George. Well, I think we fixed all the problems of the world tonight. So <laughs> we spoke gonna, a little bit longer than usual. Yeah. So we just have to get ready for the next time because I'm sure we're going we're gonna to have to continue talking about. We've got a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make a prediction that maybe we have a different Secretary of Defense the next time we chat. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was unbelievable. Well, thank you so much, George. Thank you for your time and have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see what time we talk next week. I guess it depends when the Cowboys are playing. <laughs> That's right. Take care, my man. Thank you so much. Uh, our good our good friend, uh, George Rodriguez in South Texas, talking a little bit here about the political situation. Yeah, but I have to tell you, on a personal level, I think this story about the Secretary of Defense is outrageous. And, you know, it's it's a tough job, I know, and and we certainly understand if he has a health problem. Look, we we wish for a very speedy recovery. We're hoping the best for the Secretary of Defense. But if the Secretary of Defense is going to be in intensive care, or you know, in in a sensitive operation, they've got to tell somebody this. I think the country should know that the Secretary of Defense is going to be in the hospital for a few days and may not be able to do his job. I think the country's entitled to know that, but we didn't know. This whole thing, I think it's a scandal. I really do. I think it's going to become a huge scandal, and I would not be surprised. I was, I said at the end there with George that I think the Secretary of Defense may resign. I wouldn't be surprised if he does, because this has been a real embarrassment for him and for the administration. Well, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for listening. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, and we'll talk to you, to you later. And go Cowboys. Congratulations to the Cowboys. Bye-bye, everybody.